This is Ned Ryan, and welcome to episode 45 of the Ned Ryan Podcast. So on my way to record this episode, I managed to drop my microphone as it clumped down the stairs. Uh, It looks to be working fine. These things happen, so we will continue on. So today I want to talk about what, what I found to be an absolutely stunning, fascinating article that Time Magazine had as its feature story, um, is going to have as its its cover story, um, and, and they released it last week, in which the title of the article, and I would encourage all of you listening to read this, uh, because it is it is deeply troubling on a variety of levels, but it's called The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. All right, so, so Google it. After you listen to this podcast, you have to read this article because I think it's one of the most stunning admissions of what actually happened in 2020 in which people involved in what I call the big rig actually admitted to it. Yeah, we did it. I mean, the article itself is, is brazen. And I have to tell you, upon... First reading this article last week, there was I was completely infuriated by reading it uh, because these people are basically taking a victory lap saying, yeah, we did it. What are you going to do about it? And then that's when you know, the, the next set of feelings was, oh my gosh, people that do this, that are this brazen about what they actually did to rig the 2020 election and then crow about it, feel that they're untouchable if they're being this open about it. So I wanted to kind of dissect it a little bit and kind of talk through some of the aspects of it. But again, don't focus on conspiracy theories, folks. Don't focus on Kraken or any of this. I, I want you to focus on this Time article uh, that Molly Ball wrote that came out last week. I want you to look at this. You, you have to read this article. After you listen to this podcast... You've got to go look at the Time article that talks about the secret efforts, uh, the secret history of the shadow campaign that saved, saved the 2020 election. And again, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, whenever they say saved or protecting the vote or fighting off voter suppression, it's the exact opposite, right? They didn't save the 2020 election. They rigged it. They manipulated it. They essentially pulled off a color revolution, you know, people that were involved in some of these voter protection projects and transition integrity projects were people that were actually involved in color revolutions in places like, like Ukraine. Okay, so they, they basically did what they've done overseas on our shores. And Joy Pullman over at the Federalist did a really good piece on, on, on this in which she really spelled out and kind of dissected uh, the, the Time article. So I'll, I'll use Joy Pullman's piece at the Federalist kind of as basis for getting this conversation started on this podcast, and then talk a little bit more about some of the things that actually took place um, in, the, in this timepiece. So first of all, again, the amazing part is they're not really even being shy about what they actually pulled off, right? They, they were, they're very open and honest about what they did in 2020 to, as they would say, save the 2020 elections, I would say rig, manipulate um, so Molly Ball writes, in a way, Trump was right. 
there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes. Uh, She later describes this conspiracy as something that sounds like a paranoid fever dream, a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. It was was a big rig, right? When you think about big tech, big unions, big corporations, big billionaires, right? Like the big rig uh, that that, that took place. It was collusion between all these groups to manipulate an election to actually get the results they wanted, right? Don't let this play out. Don't let the wrong guy win, i.e. Trump. We got to make sure the the right guy wins, i.e. Biden. And I'll talk a little bit more about why. Like, why would they have done this? Why did they not let this happen by chance? I mean, again, I'll say it now, but I'll talk about it more later. The Great Outsider was an existential threat to many powerful interests that wanted the status quo to remain, right? So you cannot risk it happening again that he gets another four years, because he could actually blow up a system that has been extremely beneficial to a very small portion of this society, whether it's you know, the big tech, um, the ruling class in D.C. with their corporate cronies, obviously who have sold out the American workers to China. So there are a lot of people that have a vested interest in making sure that anybody that is a threat to their system is no longer in power. And again, they were caught by surprise when Trump won in 2016, and they were determined to never let that happen again. All right, So they were going to spend literally hundreds of millions of dollars in an effort to make sure the elections were rigged to get the results they wanted. And it's, it's, you know, Ball even kind of admits that Trump was treated like a weird, uh, as Joy Pullman says, three heads for complaining the election was rigged. And yet Ball makes exactly the same claims that Trump has made in the Time article and substantiates them. So, again, Joy Pullman and others, myself included, have wondered, why would you do this? Why would you write this article? And Joy writes, it's really hard to tell if the article is just a gloating bat flip, a horrifying attempt to radicalize more people among Democrats' political opposition, or evidence that the left believes Americans are so deadened Under Democrat control, they will not react to such public revelations of conspiracies to betray American self-governance. And it is, it's pretty amazing, but also as Joy points out the doublespeak in the article, right? Trump's crazy. I can't believe he would say these things. And then Ball explains how powerful people conspired to rig the 2020 election, right? Trump's crazy for saying these things. And then I'm going to write about them and actually show that they actually did happen. I mean, she documents, I mean, again, read this article. She documents a massive election manipulation conspiracy among the nation's rich and powerful. And I've made this point on TV and in op-eds, and I think in this podcast, but I'll make it again. Joy Pullman points out something I've been making a point of for months. Ball shows an amazing level of contempt combined with ignorance about how someone who believes in self-government, as opposed to rule by oligarchs, might take this information. You have to understand, there are many on the left um, that are done with democracy, right? Democracy is messy, it's inconvenient, it moves too slow. 
right? For us to achieve our enlightened uh, state where we actually have a massive administrative state that touches every aspect of Americans' lives and gets them to do the right thing. You know, we, we get the dirty peasants uh, to see the light, to actually understand how uh, ignorant they actually are. And then once we get to that point, we'll all be enlightened. The heavens will burst open into song. Angels will come down singing and we'll live in utopia and nirvana for the rest of our lives, which is, of course, is idiotic and stupid. But they, the, democracy to them is inconvenient. For Democrats and progressives, you can see from their actions, dear God, why on earth would we ever allow the ignorant American people to actually practice self-governance. That would be dangerous. It would be against their best interests. No, it would be against the oligarchs' best interests. But that's how they frame, they're framing this argument. Like, oh my gosh, we've got to save democracy. We've got to save you know, democracy for the American people. No, they don't. They're saving a system that benefits themselves while taking away true self-governance by the American people. I mean, this was election tampering and on a massive scale. Uh, Ball writes, the, the conspiracy's work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. And in private funding, read Mark Zuckerberg, Center for Tech and Civic Life, $350 million. Uh, they fended off voter suppression lawsuits. And again, you have to understand, when they use these terms, they mean something completely different. We're not trying to suppress people who are legal citizens who are duly registered voters from actually voting in an election. When they talk about voter suppression, though, they're talking about, well, we can't have photo ID laws. That's suppression. Uh, We can't restrict people from voting if they can't properly fill out an absentee ballot request form. That's suppression. Um, No, we're not going to clean data, voter data rolls. That might be suppression. People might get knocked off and not have the ability to vote. That's what they define as voter suppression. All right, and when people say we just want photo ID laws, that's a no-brainer, right? Are you the actual person living at this address who is coming to vote uh, in this election? Please demonstrate photo ID. Great. Um, do you actually have a valid reason for requesting an absentee ballot? And again, these laws were skirted in Pennsylvania and I think other places in 2020 in which you actually have to have a valid reason for requesting an absentee ballot, mail-in. And if you don't, you don't get one. You actually have to show up in person, right? And so, and then when they say, well, we don't want to clean voter rolls, we want to clean voter rolls because dirty data leads to dirty elections, right? And so if you're not cleaning your voter rolls, at least every year, you're allowing people that are dead, people that don't live in the state anymore, people that that have no right to be voting in that election, names on that list to remain on the voter rolls, I mean, last fall, I was actually golfing with some guys who lived in the D.C. and Northern Virginia area. One of them had gotten nine ballots mailed to his house. The other had gotten 13, right? And and people that hadn't lived in that house for over five years, six years. One of them was renting, obviously, and the other one had bought the house, I don't know how many years. And they're getting all these mail-in ballots for people that hadn't lived at that address for years, okay? And, And why do you do that? You, you, you can't manipulate and you can't, you know, create fraudulent votes if you actually have clean voter rolls. You got to have wiggle room. That's why the left always fights to clean voter rolls. So Ball goes on to write that she interviewed dozens of conspiratists 
that were claiming they were trying to protect the election. In fact, as Joy Pullman points out, all of the things they were doing were actually weakening election integrity. And Joy writes about mail-in ballots. I've talked about this, but I'm going to highlight it again. There is a reason that in 1975, France outlawed mail-in voting, right? And I think maybe in 2020, they allowed some of it to take place. But in 1975, they outlawed it. Why? France outlawed mail-in voting in 1975 because they saw that in places like Corsica, mail-in voting was rife with fraud. Dead people were voting. Votes were being sold. Ballot box stuffing. And they said, we're not going to do this anymore. It's 45 years ago. Just over 45 years ago, they did this. There's a reason that 85% of European nation countries don't allow universal mail-in. If you live in the country, so in 85% of the countries, one of two things happens, right? If you are in the country, you can't vote by mail. And in some of the countries, if you are in the country and requesting a mail-in ballot, you actually have to show valid photo ID. That's 85% of the European nation countries. We are outside the norm. We are absolutely outside the norm in the United States and how we actually approach our voting process. You know, and the other thing, too, that's ironic about mail-in voting, you know, Washington Post was one of the leading voices. There's nothing wrong with voting by mail on a massive scale for the first time ever in American history. It's all good. What could possibly go wrong? You know, poo-pooing anybody like myself that actually mentioned, hey, you know, a lot of other places, mail-in voting, there's a lot of fraud. So that's Washington Post. Well, guess who owns Washington Post? Jeff Bezos, obviously, of Amazon. Guess who was throwing a hissy fit just a few weeks ago and crying about and saying there's no way he would allow mail-in voting for unionization of Amazon workers because it was rife with fraud? Jeff Bezos, who suddenly realized he didn't like mail-in voting. Of course, it was fine in a presidential election, right? The most powerful position one of the most powerful positions in the entire world. But when it comes to actually voting for unionization inside of his company, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. That's dangerous. It has potential for fraud. So there's some of us, as Joy Pullman points out, in a mail-in election such as 2020, in which half of the total votes and most of the Biden votes were mail-in, do we actually trust those results? In fact, in a situation like that, Pullman points out, one can control the outcome simply by controlling the poll watchers and vote counters, right? So you rig the system in such a way, and they worked, this this cabal that Ball writes about worked with 37 states, 37 of the 50, to change laws and process and then actually stack the poll watchers and the vote counters, right? So they rigged the system, so they're getting the dynamic of mail-in voting, And then they're getting the people who are counting the votes, right? What could possibly go wrong? So Joy Pullman points out, and again, a lot of us are asking the same questions. We actually have no way of knowing how many of the approximately 65 million 2020 election mail-in ballots are legal. We have no way of knowing that. Nobody wants, and you know, even in Georgia, we're supposedly and they're idiots, Kemp and Roethlisberger, whatever the Secretary of State's name is, didn't want to have signature a signature audit, audit of the signatures and, and validation. How do you actually know how many of these votes were truly legal from 
living, registered, legal voters? We don't know. And, and we never will. That's the, that's, that's the terrible part about um, all of this. That will always, I, I will never consider the 2020 elections valid at the presidential level. Never will. There's way too many questions that have never been answered, never will be answered, because people don't want them answered. Because they're probably, I would say, 99% chance hiding a significant amount of fraudulent votes. And Joy points out one of the core problems with the 2020 elections is that many states did not even follow their own voting laws, right? They suspended them. And a lot, again, a lot of them elected officials either suspended or quite simply just broke the laws using coronavirus as an excuse. Of course, as Pullman points out, and but even as Fauci, the evil little elf, at least he got this right. There's nothing dangerous about voting in person. CDC said the day before the election that after most of the votes had already been cast by mail, that wasn't necessary, right? It was perfectly safe to vote in person. Molly Ball points out in the piece as well that uh, there were a lot of lawsuits, obviously, filed to protect people's right to vote, protect democracy. Others have pointed out, uh, I think it was Breitbart that pointed out, Mark Elias and Democrats filed at least 300, if not more than 300 lawsuits the year, year and a half before the 2020 elections, uh, claiming that they were trying to avoid election confusion when, in fact, their efforts caused election confusion. And as Joy points out in her piece of The Federalist, what do you call people who do one thing while claiming to do the opposite? Idiots or liars. And I don't think these people are idiots. No, Mark Elias and Democrats and this conspiracy, this cabal, filed their 300-plus lawsuits to create confusion, to create total chaos, and in hopes that in the midst of the chaos, they could actually manipulate the election to get the results they wanted. No, no, no. The lawsuits were not about protecting democracy or election integrity. It was about creating confusion to get the results they wanted, right? But it was also, she, she points out, Molly Ball does in this timepiece, that they wanted to control the information flow to voters, right? So this conspiracy rigged the election by preemptively controlling the information voters were able to receive about the candidates, right? So that was anything from the New York Post articles about Hunter Biden that made Joe Biden look really bad, right? Obviously, not only from Hunter Biden's private personal life, but also his, his closely, uh, very um, financially lucrative deals with the Chinese communists, including Joe Biden himself, right? Again, Tony Bobolinsky, the Tucker Carlson interview, literally what was it, a week or two before the elections, talking about Joe Biden knew exactly what was going on, right? So, but then suppression of those. They were trying to suppress those stories, and then they, they suppressed um, uh, New, York, New York Post articles about it. They were censoring. They were literally kicking people off all of these things, because they did not want that information to flow to the voters. In fact, uh, people have pointed out, and there have been statistics that have shown, I think New York Post had an article, it was January or February, in which if people had known about some of Joe Biden's uh, behavior and Hunter Biden's behavior, it would have changed their votes, right? 
enough of the people admitted in a poll it would have changed their votes in such a way that Trump would have won, I think, most of the battleground states and therefore would have won re-election. So the, vote, the, the information suppression had the effect they wanted. It would have changed people's votes. And I think it was like 9 or 10% of the people that when they found out about the news about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden said they would have actually changed uh, their votes. So as part of this attempt to control information, this cabal, uh, as Ball writes, they successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against dis- disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After Election Day, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. So they rigged the system, they got the vote counters, and then they suppressed any questioning of, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. There are a lot of abnormalities here. There are a lot of anomalies. No, 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 it's all perfectly kosher. And then, of course, the election gets certified, and now they're all crowing about what they did. But, you know, the thing that's amazing to me, again, and just even that quote, how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks. That is unusual, people. We should not have election weeks. We should have election day. And one of the things I want to see a lot of the states do is actually have the Florida laws in place, in which you start counting and have all the absentee ballots counted before election day so that by election night, you actually know who the winner is. The other thing to to understand about this cabal and conspiracy that Molly Ball writes about is how the big tech companies not only manipulated the flow of information, which was a massive in-kind contribution to Democrats, by the way. I mean, this is something that we've got to look at in the future. What Twitter did, what Facebook did, what Google did to manipulate the flow of information, to censor, etc. for one party over the other. That's a massive in-kind contribution that should be tracked. And if it's not tracked, should obviously result in fines. But also, she point, you know, points out Zuckerberg's foundation, well, his foundation gave to Center for Tech and Civic Life, $350 million to local governments, uh, which included, by the way, training election workers, paying election judges, paying all of these supposed government staff through private funding. All right, so... Joy Pullman points out, in Georgia, a highly contested state where subsequent Senate runoffs gave Democrats unified control of the federal government, Zuckerberg's money was suspiciously aligned with hugely positive flips for Democrats. That's because, like I mentioned, Central for Tech and Civic Life, about 99% of their money was spent in blue counties and blue cities to boost blue voters, the blue vote, Democrat votes. Again, this isn't conspiracy, folks. This is, again, all documented from Amistad Project's report, now Molly Ball crowing about it. I mean, these are things that we now know for sure actually happened, and the question is, what are we going to do about it? So the other, the other one that, that uh, Molly Ball writes about that was part of this big rig, Chamber of Commerce. Some of us, myself included, have known for years that the Chamber of Commerce is not on our side, right? They are most assuredly not America first, but they're not conservatives, right? And I, I want us moving forward to understand there is a massive difference 
between corporatism and capitalism. Corporatism is what the Chamber of Commerce is about, right? In advancing and promoting big corporate over capitalism, free entrepreneur, uh, free market entrepreneurship, right? So Chamber of Commerce has never been on our side. I would argue, not been on our side for years and years. What they did is they became a part of this big cabal and conspiracy uh, to help get Biden elected. Why? Because, again, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. There's a system in D.C. run by a ruling class, Republicans and Democrats, with their corporate cronies that benefits a very small percentage of the population, right? So the corporatists are aligned with the statists, right? All wanting bigger government, bigger government with more regulations actually squashes competition. Therefore, the corporatists want more state, right? They want more regulations to make competition, make it harder to enter into a marketplace. And so they want to see the status quo remain. And they're realizing that somebody like Donald Trump, even though I disagreed, it, it wasn't... It wasn't something, obviously, that I, I made. I made an issue of it, but the, the tax cut favoring corporations over small businesses uh, of Trump's in, in end of 2017. Hey, we should be promoting and giving the equal amount of tax cuts to the small business guys and, and the corporations because small businesses are more America first, right? Made America. Of course, that was kind of poo-pooed. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, you should have done this, but I'm not going to, you know, throw a hissy fit over it. I did. I made my point and moved on. But Corporations love more government for so many different reasons. So Chamber of Commerce joins this cabal and conspiracy. And really, as, as Joy Pullman um, writes, to help cloak Biden's coronation in bipartisan colors. These double agents' mission was to convince Republicans to quietly accept the election results, to fear violence from leftists, and to provide internal pressure at key post-election choke points like certification votes in cities and states, which, of course, it all worked. Ball continues to insist throughout this article that this was all really about protecting democracy, that they were trying to protect it from essentially democracy's public enemy number one, Donald Trump. I mean, they, they, they think that Trump's winning office was an assault on democracy. When in fact, it was a triumph of democracy in which the American people said, we actually think the American people deserve to actually have a voice inside of this system of by and for the people that we fund. And the great outsider, Donald Trump, stood up and said, hey, I, I think we should actually promote the interests of the American worker and the American taxpayer. And for the next four years, he came under constant assault, accused of collusion conspiracy with the Russians. It was a conspiracy theory, two impeachments, etc. And, and really the essence of it was, Donald Trump saying, hey, I think the system should actually work to benefit the American people. And he was called basically on the level of a domestic terrorist, that he was a great, the great threat to the American democracy, when in fact the opposite was true. So, you know, to them, to these people in this cabal of conspiracy, forcing Trump out of office was synonymous with democracy, right? They were going to, they, they had all kinds of plans. If he won, they were going to shut down the country, uh, they were they were going to burn cities down. The point of all of this is that they were going to rig whatever happened in 2020. And if they didn't get the results they wanted, they were going to try and blow up the entire system, right? And <laughs> the, the, it, it was pretty incredible. They, they were wanting to rig a system so that 
they got the results they wanted no matter what, right? If we can't win through the elections, we're going to try and destroy democracy to bring Trump down. And as Joy Pullman points out, you know, in games we call that rigging, in sports we call it cheating. Okay? So the fact that these people suspended election laws, they threatened deadly violence all in the name of protecting democracy, when in fact what they did was actually rig an election. And they think... I mean, I, I do think they, Joy points this out, but I also think they think that the American people are too stupid to really care, right? They think this too, they're too stupid to understand what happened. And if, even if they do, it's not going to concern them enough to actually do anything about it, right? Because they think you're, they, first of all, they hate you. The ruling class despises you, right? You dirty little peasants, shut up and mind your betters. We're going to use you as a personal ATM to fund all of our priorities. You'll get the crumbs and you'll like it, right? We'll give you $600 and you'll be grateful for it as we send billions of dollars overseas. So they hate, they despise you. They hate you. Think you're stupid. And in all of this, they decided because you're foolish and stupid and idiots, we're going to rig and manipulate an election to get the results we wanted to make sure that nothing ever happens like this again. And you can see now with what they're doing, I mean, the first bill that Nancy Pelosi introduced, HR1, was all about election integrity or whatever the heck it was. When in fact, just they're trying to basically entrench some of the things they did in 2020 and actually try and pass it into law so they can have one party rule in perpetuity. And that's why I, I truly believe we have one shot at this in 2022 to take away at least one, if not two, of the cha- both chambers in Congress, House and Senate, and weaken Joe Biden in coming into the 2024 elections. But it's also incumbent upon state legislators to do the right thing. There's many reform items that need to be passed in this spring session, but also next year as well, coming into the 2022. And quite frankly, whatever the RNC actually is doing, They'd better focus on electoral integrity, lawsuits, lawfare, litigation, and voter registration to make sure that this never happens again. And if it does, we've got real issues. Uh, And I would say all bets are off on the American Republic moving forward. So I would encourage you as I close out on this podcast, please, please go read the Time article, The Secret History of the Shadow Campaign That Saved the 2020 Election. Any questions you had suspicions you had, a lot of them are answered by that article. And I hope that at least some of this podcast illuminated that. But read it, please. I think you'll read it and you'll have the same reaction I did. You'll be infuriated about what they actually are are saying they did. And also at the same time, I, I think you should be deeply concerned about what is taking place in this country. And you should decide I'm not going to let this happen to this great constitutional republic.